Hi, if you're just finding the show, I'm Dylan Shab, and I've been a little bit obsessed by the coming metaverse for the last decade. Today, I am joined by Vinny Bailey, uh, Vinny, aka Vinny Crypto Champions, aka Guildmaster, <laughs> aka Twitter Space Master. Welcome, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Dylan. Uh, how about you, man? It's always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I, I consider Vinny, you've become a really good friend. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how people can bond uh, over these communities and NFTs and gaming. Uh, I think people who are not in the space often don't even realize, you know, you're spending hours a day with people over here with a common passion uh, and it becomes uh, a very close friendship. So I'm, I'm glad to call you a friend then. But before we get into all of the Web3 stuff, um, how did you, what do you, what do you do primarily? Like, I, I know that you're living in Europe uh, and that you're a professional mm -hmm. sportsman. Tell, tell me a bit about your history. How did you get there? Um, what's been going on for you? Um, well, you know, if we're going to talk, start from the beginning, uh, I try yeah, to start at the beginning. Podcast. It's a long form podcast, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I originally grew up in a small town called Jennings, Florida. Um, it's in North Florida, right on the uh, Florida-Georgia line. So I grew up there. You know, I was always into sports, basketball specifically. Um, my dad put the ball in my hand, um, started playing around uh, 13, 14, you know, organized sports. And um, from there, I knew I, I loved the game and um, got an opportunity to, to travel a little bit. Me being a country guy. You know, um, I got an opportunity to play travel basketball, which is called AAU in the States. So that took me to like Atlanta, Georgia, and I started traveling around the country to play in different big uh, tournaments and things. Ended up getting a scholarship in Lincoln Memorial University uh, in 2010, where I spent four years there. And I graduated with a kinesiology degree, um, left college in uh, 2014. What kinesiology? Uh, Vin Vinny, just fill me in on that one. Uh, kinesiology is like the study of this is sports science for like the study of the movement of the body and things like that okay cool mm -hmm. so uh after that after graduating um i went on um and played uh started my professional career overseas you know everybody who doesn't make it to the nba you know it's, it's a it's a rare few it's only like 400 500 people in the league so you know uh, people who still can play at a high level get opportunities in different countries. So I was blessed enough to, you know, make it out of that small town, you know, um, because it was a struggle growing up a bit. You know, my family did the best they could, but I saw this as a way out for me and to, you know, make something of myself. So um, my first uh, contract was in Germany. So 2014, 2015, I played basketball in Germany and, uh, near Bremenhaven. Um, great experience there. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about the EU leagues because I'm I'm not that informed uh, mm -hmm. on European basketball. Um, mm -hmm. How does it work? Do you, do you play for a national team or how does it work? Over there? Or do they have their own kind of mini leagues or, or major leagues like the NBA? How, yeah. how exactly is it structured in, in Europe? So basically uh, each European country has its, uh, its own designated league like they have a top league they have a second league you know and some even have third leagues like Germany they have they have BBL which is the first league the pro a and both of those are uh interchangeable so let's say like the bottom team in the top league uh loot are like 
the losers. So they got to move down to Pro A and the top two teams in Pro A move up to BBL. So each each country has a set of leagues, uh, like two or three. Amazing. Okay, cool. So how long have you been professionally playing basketball for now? Uh, this will be my eighth season right now. I'm cur- currently in Copenhagen and I, I play here in the Danish league. Okay, cool. Um, and what does your day look like for you, Vinny? Um, um, so, you know, basically a uh, day in the life overseas, you know, basketball, I wake up around, if I'm, if I'm going out after, off of before I jumped into Web3, you know, it's a bit... Right, a let's talk before Web3. Let's talk before okay. you're still committed to your corporeal career. Okay, okay, cool. So, you know, we'll wake up. Uh, I have weights, you know, on Monday at 10, 10 a.m. from the 10 to 11. And then I'll have a yoga session at 11. And then uh, from 12 to 1, we'll have like a individual workout, shooting routine, you know, working on basic skills and stuff. So take a break uh, for the afternoon and come back around five or six in the evening. And then we'll have a uh, two, uh, two and a half hour practice. And then, you know, just repeat, you know, same thing Monday through Friday. We'll play Saturday and uh, sometimes during the week. So that's the daily routine, maybe like three workout sessions a day. Wow. Yeah. So that's it's, it's heavily structured. OK. And what what tends to be the the lifespan of professional basketball players these days? I mean, how long do players tend to stay in, in professional leagues? And then what are, you know, what have, you, what have your colleagues started branching into? I mean, that's what we'll get into next. But, you know, I always find that interesting because I, you know, I grew up in South Africa where rugby was a very big thing. And mm-hmm. um, many of these rugby players went the way of Shaquille O'Neal and started kind of clothing brands, uh, nutrition supplement groups, um, some went on to sit on boards, right? South Africa was in a major uh, shift uh, culturally. And so, you know, you, you know, to be able to get some of these, um, like Chester Williams on these new boards that wanted competent leadership, uh, that was a way that many of them were going. I mean, we even, we had a term for them. We were calling them the black diamonds in South Africa at that point, uh, because mm-hmm. anyone who had shown themselves to have any kind of track record was, um, you know, an immediate asset uh, because there was, you know, such a divide in South Africa at that time, right? Like you had, you know, the, the you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard kind of work of when reconciliation starts, you've got a 15-year gap where it's like, okay, well, you can't just hire people who are previously disadvantaged. They don't have the skill set. And so what tended to happen was that 1% who, like Chester Williams, who had shown themselves to be professional sports people, uh, were, were snapped out by these boards and, and put mm-hmm. all So you watch these rugby players, especially the ones um, who were uh, previously disadvantaged, the Bafana Bafana soccer players and stuff like that, mm-hmm. suddenly... Did you uh, participate? Sorry? Did you participate in uh, rugby? Did you uh, no, I, my, my, I have a twin brother who's like six foot one and enormous shoulders and stuff. So he was okay. Okay. I was actually okay. more of a water polo player. Okay, cool. More skill, finesse, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, brutal. I mean, water polo was brutal, man. I mean, people who don't know about it, I mean, especially our, probably our American listeners don't know mm-hmm. that, that water polo is a really brutal game. And it's funny because my mother had no idea about sports. So I was not allowed mm-hmm. to play rugby because I'm this little kind of guy and she doesn't want me to do that. 
little did she know right. that every water polo game, I'll come out of the water and I would have like scratch marks in my stomach and I'd just quickly cover myself so she didn't know, you know, that I was <laughs> up in the water. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, I digress. So how long do most um, professional basketball players go for? And then, you know, what, what do you see as the exit point? Like what are a lot of your peers doing after they leave um, professional leagues? Um, so I would say uh, the time span for a professional basketball player would be, you know, between 10 years, I would say 10 years, but depending on the age, because a lot of pros start young at like, you know, maybe 18, 19. So you could easily play uh, 15, 20 years now, honestly, uh, right 36, I would say, would be a great average age retirement for a professional basketball player around 36. But a lot of them are leaving before, right? I mean, just because they can doesn't mean they do, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But honestly, I have not too many uh, like NBA or overseas players are leaving super early unless it's because of injury because uh, right. people really love it. Like football-wise, maybe like uh, – people are stopping earlier because of, you know, all the hits to the head and you don't want to take, yeah. take on any more trauma. But a lot of athletes, you know, play it all the way out until, you know, they just can't, till their tank is empty, you know. Yeah. Um, well, that's coming yeah, in. I, that's I, I, think, I think golf and basketball share that in common. I mean, I know that basketball is a lot more rigorous in golf, um, mm -hmm. but it does seem to have people playing all the way to the end. I remember going to a, 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 a golf World Cup in in south mm -hmm. africa once and there, there were players in their 50s who were fantastic still you know and yeah. you know and there's still the rigor of training i mean there's still everything involved so uh, what, what's the main injury that that happens in basketball is it or, or wear and tear is it to the knees yeah knees uh you know ankles but yeah specifically the knees that's probably the you know most common injury um, I mean, also what, the height, about right? I mean, because they are high, you know, the, the average basketball player. I mean, what are you, six seven? Yeah, six six, six seven with shoes. Right, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so there's also going to be back complications for a lot of these guys, right? Lower back complications often. Yeah, I mean, the guys who are like seven foot seven two are the ones that really have those type of issues after basketball, and they they retire earlier typically because right. you know like their height is incredible and like that pounding on those joints depending on your weight um the game has really evolved whereas people used to want to be really bulky and you know and be able to be really physical too but now it's more like leaning having your body lean and um uh, you know more body weight exercises rather than being bulky because all that weight can put too much pressure on your knees and you know cause like unnecessary injuries right Okay, so so we digressed again. Tell me, so what do some of your friends do, uh, or just people in the industry do often one when they leave and retire? Uh, which which route do they go? Um, basketball wise, you know, they typically go into um, you know coaching or um, maybe broadcasting. You know, sports analysts or something like that. Podcasts are very interesting for athletes after basketball nowadays. Um, yeah, maybe fashion, you know, things like that, depending on like how much money you've accumulated over your career. Um, if you're in the NBA or something, you probably already have a big, you know, business established, you know, and you're easily, uh, you're well, you yourself are a big brand. You're saying you're a big brand, so you can be leveraged into, into other mm -hmm. areas. Right. Yeah. 
Whereas so you're saying if you're less of a big brand, then you tend to go, a lot of your peers are going more into staying in the industry. So coaching, um, mm-hmm. right, coaching. Okay, I understand what you're exactly. saying. Um, I, I yeah. also know there's a lot of emphasis these days on, on health that wasn't in the sports world until maybe a decade ago. Uh, I'm noticing mm-hmm. that a lot of these professional sports people are getting involved in nutritional brands. They're getting involved in uh, lifestyle coaching. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, supplements i know is a big thing right now you know they, they will they will lean themselves to protein bars and stuff like that or they'll develop yeah. it right um mm-hmm. are you seeing that as well yeah i definitely agree with you mm-hmm. cool. cool um okay and then um another area that i see quite a few professional and again each sport is very different because i think i think you know we we, we think of professional sports people all in in one group but, um, you know, each one is almost a network. You know, there was a, an amazing book in Israel called Startup Nation, uh, which discussed why Israel is such an incubator. And one of the major factors that they put over there was the army network, right? Because people have been through the whole army system, they have this amazing network of people that they can connect with, you know, and it's often an argument why it's still worthwhile going to Yale and Cambridge in these places, because you get this amazing network. And I think mm-hmm. each sports league almost has kind of its own alumni network. I, I think that's fair to say. And so, you know, where are, uh, you know, if you wanted to go into other areas, where, are, where, where, where do you have basketball alumni that could hook you up? If you, you know, maybe that's the way to ask it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <clears throat> like I was telling you about like AAU basketball, I play with uh, some, some pretty, you know, big, uh, um, pretty big AAU clubs. Um, so, you know, if I wanted to go into that or, you know, going to coaching or go back to my university where I'm an All-American, you know, and um, my name is hanging in the Raptors, you know, and, and things like that, which is very dope, you know, go back to your, uh, your alma mater. And, yeah, and, you know, maybe I start a job there, you know, being skills trainer or something like that. Uh, but one of the AU clubs I played for, um, uh, it was for Team Spates, Maurice Spates. Uh, not for you, not. I don't know if you're familiar with the name, but he he's played with uh, Golden State when they won uh, a yeah, sure. NBA championship. So we're really close. I used to watch him when uh, he was at the University of Florida, and I was a freshman in high school. So we have a good bond. Maybe I go in a direction like that. So yeah, yeah. Those yeah, are look, I, I'm sure you still have a have a long sports history ahead of you. I, I'm mostly just asking this because it, it fascinates me. Um, how business evolves these days, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a generation where, uh, where you know, I, I think our generation was the first generation that knew that we weren't going to have one job for the rest of our lives, right? Right, right. I, I think that that's a new phenomenon for us. The generation after us don't even think like that anymore. But we still mm-hmm. live with people who, you know, you know, like the milkman was the milkman for fifty years. The postman was the right. postman. 50 years right the bank tellers became bank managers and they stayed in their lane and what I'm finding so interesting as I watch professional sportsmen evolve is where they end up is often so different than you would just have expected if you put them in kind of like a little bubble and said oh well you know they're probably going to stay either in supplements or training or coaching and it's just not the case anymore and so you know what's crazy yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but you know, it's crazy. Like in the States, like there was a, like, 
a movement LeBron James started, you know, uh, because uh, one of the uh, and the uh, analysts called, uh, told him to shut up and dribble. Like, okay, that's all you're good for. You can just just play basketball. It's not like you're good at anything outside of sports right. in your physical God-given abilities, you know, and that's ne- that's not the case. Most people just are so passionate and they want to go on for years and playing, doing what they love to do, but they never had, they, they never made time for other things that they were passionate about or never find those skills sets that they were good at, you know, outside of what they love to do. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 look, I I think there is a certain element of uh, truth that some jobs, like being a professional sportsman and an actor, is so intense. The light, you know, it's such a um, big part of your day to day for years and years and years that there is something to be said that you know, okay, you're a specialist in this lane. Maybe you're not an expert in another lane. But the other extreme where it's like, because you're a sportsman actor, you shouldn't have an opinion on social criticism, uh, you know, medicine, hobbies. I mean, so many sportsmen are avid readers, right? Mm, and right. To pretend like they are just, you know, you are a, a, a weapon or you are a tool. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit absurd, but um, yeah. okay. But speaking of that, <laughs> um, one of, you know, while this has all been going on in our life, you know, esports has been developing rapidly, right? And it, 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 it almost used to be a joke in the beginning. And now it's, I mean, the prize money and the, the sponsorships and stuff are, are insane. And it's funny because, <laughs> because you know, the, the people used to laugh about like FIFA esports were the jocks. And yet yeah. every jock I know when he's not gymming or playing sports, is, uh, and this goes the same for kind of alpha types in special forces, right? I've got some friends who are really high up in Israeli special forces. And when they're not in mm-hmm. the gym or playing sports, they are either watching sports or playing playing a video game, right? Uh, right, right. You know, the, some of the, the most passionate, uh, you know, it's like when you start having a chat with people in Halo or Fortnite and things, and you, it's like, oh man, it's all investment bankers and sportsmen. Right. It's it's right. they've got a channel that drives somewhere. It's not like you you get off the court and you don't have that drive to, for excellence somewhere else. Exactly. You know, like uh, going off to the topic of, you know, you know, honing in on that drive or that, you know, adrenaline, like to get your blood pumping. Like if we're having an off day, like typically, you know, um, I would go play Call of Duty with my friends and I have a whole plan in Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare. So we'll get together and we'll play and you know we really are engaged it's not like we're just playing casually like we're trying to win like and so you get when we get that win or, or or two that one day because you know it's not it's not it's not easy getting a win in call of duty battle royale you know what i mean in the war zone so once you get that dub and you you win like you really you're really talking trash man after the game because the whole you know the whole list of uh the whole server can hear you talking like as you're getting pulled up to the helicopter so it's really competitive man and i can see myself uh getting that adrenaline rush when, when i'm playing with my friends and stuff in the clan yeah and and you know um we've got a friend in crypto champions gecko and you know and he mentions it's yeah. you know oh brother you lose yourself in the game and it's so true i mean there's <laughs> only uh you know there's two places that I, I i i can distinctly think of going in the zone i mean i wasn't actually much of a computer a game player i'm more of a magic the gathering card player and stuff Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm very into strategy games. So I was very much when I was growing right. up into SimCity and stuff like that. And and something you notice is, you know, when I would swim, 
I'd be swimming for an hour and a half. You know, that first 10 minutes, your mind is on the whole time. Like, oh, you know, do I, did I pack everything? Did I, you know, and then you go into the zone, you know, mm -hmm. and time stops, right? And before you know it, like, you know, if you were just at the back of your mind counting laps, it's, oh, wow, I've just done 120, whatever else, right? And the no. same find with like these computer games, you're playing with your bros in a guild or Magic the Gathering or something. And, you know, the, you, you, you turn, you go, I'm hungry. What time is it? Like, Shit, I've been playing this for four hours. You know, it's you no, for real. really go into that zone. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the extreme is terrible. You know, there was that uh, story not so long ago where a, a guy in China, you know, they have these, they had these massive internet cafes, right? And guys would clock in for like hours and would build up the card. And a dude died and no one noticed. I mean, it's, oh. it's shocking, but it's also kind of like culturally hysterical that you right. know, people came and sat down. They thought he was just napping, right? Because people would stay there for 25 hours with, you know, Red Bulls and energy drinks and just take right. a few naps. And for six hours, apparently he was dead and no one knew because everyone was in the zone. Wow. That, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah. So, um, so for you, what do you, um, you know, now that esports is becoming so mainstream and taken very seriously, um, what do you see as the similarities between um, serious level gaming and, and, and professional sports? Um, definitely, uh, definitely that competitive edge, you know, that will to like tune your skills to a, to a good level or high level, you know, so you can compete with the best and uh, show show that you're one of those. I definitely uh, think that's uh, a big part of the uh, two, you know, comparing the two. It's a lot of similarities, uh, honestly, you know, especially on the mental aspect of it. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I've noticed this now because we were running a squad in Axie that was quite competitive for a while. I think mm -hmm. what a lot of people, you know, don't get, and, and sportsmen, I think, get it better. And, and, you know, maybe people who go to the gym as well regularly is that the day in and day out grind is not sexy, right? In other words, the difference between an average guy who kicks a ball around at home and a really professional sports player, you know, is, is, is or, or let's put it this, that extra two seconds that Michael Phelps can get in the water takes an extra two to four years of daily training, right? It's that little edge that you know you see it with like uh, i've watched some competitive final fantasy and dota and stuff and you know it's like they just win they just like they were just a little bit faster or they were just a little bit quicker on their hand and 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 that's everything right that if you can do that with consistency then you'll you that's what being a top player means and um and i'm hoping that we start to get more sports people in because you know, training future esports champions, um, if they don't come from a disciplined background, in other words, if they've got raw skill, I guess this is the point, if they've got raw skill, that raw skill still has to be honed. And the honing of that raw skill is the not sexy part, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you deal in a game where there's like a grind mechanism that you're just chopping wood, okay, so that's like, do you, are you okay with that kind of like repetitive grind? But when it comes mm -hmm. to sports aspect of playing against other players or leveling up and stuff like that there is a certain requirement for discipline and i i'm not sure um if everyone gets that um and i i, I this is why i'm so interested in um professional sports players coming into esports 
and kind of, you know, talking this through and saying, you know, maybe we have to schedule practices. Maybe we have mm -hmm. to put together a structure um, of criticism. You know, the, the, after, the after game tip talk where, uh, you know, people are throwing the cans at the wall and saying, why did we lose? And you've got to mm -hmm. have that introspection um, because there's going to be, you know, we, already in Axie Infinity, there's serious amounts of money on the line, right? The top 1,000 right. players are earning hundreds of thousands over there, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, for a guild or for a gaming group to just get one of those players into a top thousand, forget that they're making so much money. Now, from a brand point of view, this guild has arrived. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I went on a bit of a tangent over there, but the point is, oh, I, think that, yeah, I think that sports people yeah. being in the industry um, will really help bring a professionalism and an honesty to what is required if anyone seriously wants to succeed in esports. I think that that's where my head is at. What, what do you think, Vinny? I think that's a great idea. You know, I think your mind is right. I don't know if a lot of people even think like that, but you definitely have a, a you're, you're hitting it, you're hitting the head on the, on the target for sure, because it's not even about like um, a gaming or uh, in real life, you know, playing or, you know, a sport, it's the mental aspect of it, like that competitive side of it, you know, what it takes to be disciplined, <clears throat> excuse me, on a daily basis. And, you know, to know the days, some days you probably don't feel like doing it, but you need to do it anyways, um, because it's going to make you that much better than your, uh, you know, your opponent, you know, who's probably taking it lightly, you know, so yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Dylan. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, we'll, we'll digress a bit more, but because both of you are, are, both of us are really into play to earn games, and we'll, we'll get into that next, but, um, you know, just so that I don't forget the point, you know, something I do hope that, you know, if any gaming companies, because, you know, for crypto champions, you run a Twitter space, and I really do hope that these games um, don't just create opportunities for the top 1%, and for the bottom part, right? You've Because in between the two extremes, right? In between your casual player that maybe just go to grind and cut wood and your top 1% in the esports, you've got a lot of players that still need opportunities to earn, right? In other words, one of the things I really kind of look down at Dota for and respect Magic the Gathering for is, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how Magic the Gathering tournaments worked, but essentially it was a bottom-up approach. You would have <clears> your club tournaments, right? Arranged by your local kind of card stores and stuff. And there would be prizes. Right. Then your top maybe two players, like your heroes from the club would go on to kind of the citywide competitions and there were prizes mm -hmm. and then entries into the nationals. Then in the nationals, mm -hmm. maybe eight people would be formed from that. And then maybe the top four would go and represent in the World Cup. So, and then those guys would get sponsorships and all of that. So there were lots of leagues, but everyone kind of always felt they could win something and achieve something. And often there were raffles involved just for participation and showing up. And I right. really hope that these games understand that because, you know, that, that, you know, I know that I could never be a professional basketball player. I don't care how much I trained. I'm five foot nine and I was never going to be hired. Right. You know, we talk about different people having different privilege. Okay. Being mm -hmm. born tall is a certain privilege. Right. Mm -hmm. so I know that's never going to happen for me. And I know that when I speak to certain players, they're like, look, I've got two hours a day. I can give you my all in two hours, but I'm just not good enough to become 
uh, one of your esports champion. It's never going to happen. Is there a job opportunity for me? And I'm hoping that play to earn games take creating as many job opportunities as possible for all levels right. of player, from the hobbyist to the serious player um, to the socialite, right? Like, I'm far more interested in going and sitting in a tavern and doing my business over there in kind of a geeky fantasy setting, right? No, so, super dope. Yeah, so I, I, I just think that these, the, I hope that these games really don't go overboard and only kind of enfranchising their esports crowd. Because again, I, you know, if I have to call out Dota, you've almost got two Dota communities. You've got this World Cup level set of players who are mm -hmm. earning insane prizes. And then there's everyone else, right? They can't even earn anything. They just get to log in. It's, and they love the game and they're happy to play the game and they get skins and stuff. But if we can, you know, as we start to create play to earn opportunities, it will be stupid if we just, you know, enfranchise the top 1% again and don't find ways to let everyone kind of get a piece of the cake. Yeah, wouldn't that be specific on the genre of the game or if it's like a multiplayer or like yeah, an open yeah, world game? Yeah, you, you raise a really good point because, you know, this is, I mean, you know, you're saying the part which I'm worried about out loud, but you know what, let's, let's deviate in this way. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, let's, let's go down this route, sure. So actually, you know what, let's, before we go down this, because we can come back to this, I wanted, uh, how did you get into NFTs and, and crypto and stuff in general? Let's go there first and then we can. Um, well, I got into crypto, uh, I want to say, two years ago. It's been two years now. So, you know, relatively new in the crypto space, but not really because you know how long, like the, that two years probably, like in the Web3 NFT crypto world, like three months could feel like an eternity because you're falling down a rabbit hole of learning yeah. DeFi, learning, you know, this crypto asset and all kinds of other stuff, you know, leveraging, like trading. Now you can trade crypto and stuff, like, like you trade stocks and stuff like that. So did did so you enter with coins, place. Vinny? Did you come into the crypto space first with trading coins? Yep, yep, exactly. Yes, and what sir. was your red pull moment? Was it from the news outlets or did one of your friends tell you about it? How, how did you get in? Uh, don't laugh at me, Dylan. Don't laugh at no, me. No, no, I'm not. I, I, I asked this question for a reason because this is where I get the funny stories usually. <laughs> uh, so first, first and foremost, I was in Switzerland. I was in Monte. Um, so my friend, he was learning options trading and, um, I was like, what are you doing? Cause every day after practice, he'll go to his room and just stand there for, for a long time. He was like, yeah, I've been working on options trading and, you know, investing stocks. And I was like, okay, dope. You know what I mean? Tell me a little bit more about it. So that's when I started like, you know, learning about stocks and everything and, uh, investing in those, you know, trading, day trading ETC. So at first I wanted like, oh, let me try day trade a little bit. So I did that for a little bit, you know? um learn how to do options and you know set set stop losses etc you know um this is not my realm of like i'm not great at it you know it's just something i was getting into and i was like well this is you know it's cool but it's just like kind of boring to me and um i heard about dogecoin and i was like doge crypto okay let me tap into this you know and i started looking it up and it was just like man this is an amazing world what have i been at? like under a rock you know <laughs> so it's like and from there, like my first investment was Deutsch, you know, and, uh, you know, from there, I just started learning about other cryptos. Um, Shiba was the next. I'm sorry. I made a little bit off of Deutsch okay. and Shiba. There's, there's, yeah, there's no so, judgment here, man. You know, you've no, got to, no. uh, you know, I, I, my, I admire people 
who can laugh at themselves about how they entered and also didn't leave when they, you know, when they lost something or when they made a mistake. You know, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I have uh, very little respect, you know, and I see this sometimes with people, you know, people who window dressed their OpenSea portfolios, right? Mm -hmm. They will sell certain NFTs at a loss just so when people look at their wallet, they like, oh, they didn't buy into that stupid project. I mean, oh, people bottom, do that. People do that. People do that, brother. People That's do wild. that. <laughs> and they like, but but they what they don't understand is I can see their activity activity history and stuff. And it's like, who are you fooling, man? Because you know what? It's on the blockchain. Yeah, because every the, the the notion, the notion that in a new industry like crypto and NFTs that you're going to knock the ball out of the park every single time is at best hubris and at worst extremely arrogant right right I mean the the the, the you know if anything I've learned from value investing it is that as you only need a few really great wins as long as you don't have catastrophic losses mm -hmm. right and so yeah. Uh, you know, people need to own their shame. I mean, you know, you, you're a sportsman. I mean, I'm sure there are games where you wanted to break your locker afterwards. You missed a mm -hmm. ball by just a minute or something and you're, you're beating right. yourself up about that. But those are your learning experiences. Those are the, the experiences that give you the fire and say, okay, I, I've got to pause a moment over here. Maybe I FOMO'd into these projects. Maybe I followed the hype. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. the patsy, uh, you know, who, who, who bought right at the top and, and, and now I'm holding mm -hmm. on the dip and I've got to own that. So, yeah, no, no for judgment sure. for me. If you came in with Doge and Shiba, uh, Elon went yeah. in with Doge and he still thinks it's the people's coin. And I think yeah. he has some really good points about that. So, yeah, no judgment. Okay, so from yeah. coins, how did you get into NFTs? Um, from coins to NFTs, after I, you know, uh, upgraded my mentality on shit coins and things like that, and uh, stayed into the uh, crypto world for another year or so, I discovered like NFTs. Uh, the end of 2021, uh, like around November, you know. Um, so I've always knew about NFTs. Now I knew knew known about NFTs for months before then. So I would say I knew about them for like several months before I actually invested in my first. So um yeah got into uh my friend canoe who i played with in switzerland you know was telling me about this project you know and i was like okay uh, maybe this has the potential to be my first nft buy you know because i've always been like tiptoeing on that you know on let's, that so line. let's give everyone a bit of a bit of um uh, background over here there is mm -hmm. an nft project called crypto champions which is building basically an investment um education alpha group uh, that's how they were structured. Yeah. There's four founders, Theodore, Tom, um, Yomi as an advisor, and Canoe, right? Can, now, right. Canoe is, you're saying he's Cedric. a sports... Cedric. Yeah. He, he's in, he's also a professional sportsman? Oh, uh, he was. I think he finished uh, three years ago. He retired three years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. and so now he works yeah. in marketing, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So, okay. So, Canoe hit you up and says, hey, man... There's this thing called NFTs. You've got to take this red pull and join me on this journey. What was Basically. his selling pitch? How did he get you interested? I mean, you've already now sampled Doge coins and Shiba coins. So, well, me, well, I had a uh, I had a Discord channel where I had like um, athletes in. I think I had about you know 150 guys that I knew of um, that played overseas, and you know people who make money overseas. Like sometimes people put it in good places, but sometimes let's be honest, a lot of athletes spend their money uh, 
in places they shouldn't have. And I was, you know, victim to that early in my career because I never had anything. So when I got money, I was like, oh, let me buy this, let me buy that. You know, so I was like, okay, maybe I can start a community where I can help people, you know, find cryptos and good things to invest in and make their money make money. So I started this Discord, Canoe was a part of it, you know, we were dropping like alpha on crypto assets, you know, and I called it uh, Hoops and Crypto. It was just, it was free. Like it was just to help out my fellow, you know, hoopers and basketball players, you know, so. I like that name, I like that name. Hoops yeah, crypto. yeah. Nice. so I did that. I did that for like, what, four or five months. And uh, yeah, that's when me and Canoe was talking in the crypto world and then like, Fast forward now, he told me about the NFT project because we always kept in touch about cryptos. And he was like, yeah, you should join this community. I was like, yeah, I've already been wanting to get an NFT. So this is probably the best place to start now since you're my friend, you invited me to the community. Now it makes sense for me other than, oh, let me jump into something because I know it's a lot of rugs. I was I was rugged in uh, crypto and I knew it was a shit coin. I just threw something in it. You know, I was like, yo, this could pay off crazy. Or it could, you know, definitely be a rug, but hey, I'm willing to take that degenerate gamble. You feel me? So <laughs> I did that, but it's a lot of rug pulls out here in the NFT communities and people need to be careful. So I feel like comfortable joining this community with a uh, canoe and knowing him and his uh his team that he's a part of or you know, well known for building structure and being accomplishing their goals and there were docs. So I joined the community, man, and it was amazing. You know, met good friends, met you there, Dylan, who's a well, you know. Um, there in crypto champions, yeah, I and mean, I met a lot of good. It's interesting because I, 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 I predominantly have made. I mean, I've done very, very well so far in play to earn games, and this is just the beginning mm -hmm. of play to earn games. And right you know, in my life, you know, I come from a, a a third generation family of money, and yet, you know, I didn't. I grew up middle class. There had been a lot of drama mm -hmm. in my family, and so I've got a very rich side of the family and uncles and. I've got a very famous first cousin in England and stuff. So I grew up around money and art and also my parents, my mother was 41 when she gave birth to me and my father was 46. So I grew up around art and stuff like that. And the moment I started making a fair amount of money over here, um, my mm -hmm. response, because I've, I've always been a collector. I just, I, I love to collect. I'm not a hoarder. I like to think, but mm -hmm. I'm a collector. I've, I've collected nice. jugs and stuff. And so, the moment I had spare money was like, I really want to put some of my portfolio into collectible NFTs. But I, I had a lot of respect for what Bored Ape, CryptoPunks and stuff were doing. And so I started mm -hmm. kind of, I bought a mutant and I was getting involved in that. And the thing I started realizing in November and December, and I think we all kind of, it hit us like a storm was like, there are so many projects dropping right now. Right. You've got to have a squad around you to help you do research, right? And I don't mm -hmm. even mean, I don't even mean just from the rugs, right? That was, that's been scaling up too, the amount of scams and bots and stuff like that. But there was just right. a sense of an overload of penny stocks, right? And some of them were going to do well, but we just had to have a way to discern them. And so uh, all at the same time, I started investing in different education NFTs. I bought Squishy Squad because I've got an amazing set of bots. I bought Magic Mushroom Clubhouse because I felt that uh, Brett... Um, it's one of the founders over there and Crypto Brando really are not kind of doing paid promos. They're very into education and informing the community. Right. I uh, bought Journey Club. And then the last thing I bought was um, Crypto Champions because I thought, okay, here is a group of uh, people who are trying to create an alpha community. 
from all disciplines of investments, right? One of the things that was interesting about crypto champions is it's not just about NFT collectibles. It's about educating people in all investment um, aspects. And I, you know, just like I feel that there's a natural bond between professional sports people and esports, I think that Mm -hmm. um, treating crypto and NFTs like they're their own asset class unrelated to the rest of the world is rubbish, okay? The same right. skill set you learn from value investing, from real estate and construction and, and, and buying and selling stocks, those skills, that, that way of analyzing those analytical tools are supposed to be here as this um, NFT market evolves and becomes more and more sophisticated. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I wailed in. I think I bought like 25 at the time or something. And there was a lot of FUD, by the way. I didn't buy into the hype. I bought into the FUD. When I arrived, there was a lot of upset about the mint. And, you know, we'll leave that for another time. It's not particularly that interesting because it's actually more common than people think, right? There's a lot of big hype projects that then have a bit of FUD. And who cares? I, I, I feel that I've already been repaid multiple times by the amount of community members I met. Uh, crypto champions have also invested in a project that I'm doing, Crown Capital, which is about yeah. pay-to-earn gains. So hey, your uh, mentality is different though yeah. uh, to the you know the regular you know investor or somebody who's just jumping into NFTs who just sees the hype on the YouTube channel and says go you know FOMO into this project and then flip it and because YouTube is teaching everybody like this is how you flip not this is how you invest in a NFT community. Yeah. I think it's gotten like out of control. I I think also the 